I'd invite you this morning um, to take a Bible with me and turn to a couple of places. We want to hear the Old Testament text for today and also the gospel text. The Old Testament text is in the book of Zephaniah. Um, kind of a hard book to find. We don't read it all that often in worship, but Zephaniah is found between the two H's, Habakkuk and Haggai, if you're looking for it. Zephaniah chapter 3, in just a moment, we'll read verse 14. But then we'll also go to Luke, uh, Luke the third chapter. Last week we looked at the first six verses. Today we look at verses 7 through 18. But here is Zephaniah, the third chapter, beginning at verse 14. Rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, daughter Jerusalem. The Lord has removed your judgment. He has turned away your enemy. The Lord, the King of Israel, is in your midst. You will no longer fear evil. On that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Don't fear, Zion, don't let your hands fall. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. A warrior bringing victory. He will create calm with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. I will remove from you those worried about the appointed feast. They have been a burden for her, a reproach. Watch what I am about to do to all your oppressors at that time. I will deliver the lame. I will gather the outcast. I will change their shame into praise and fame throughout the earth. At that time, I will bring all of you back. At the time when I gather you, I will give you fame and praise among all the neighboring peoples when I restore your possessions and you can see them, says the Lord. Now, would you turn with me to Luke, the third chapter? And if you're with us this morning and able, you would stand with me in honor of the Lord's word as we look at Luke 3, verses 7 through 18. Then John said to the crowds who came to be baptized by him, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourself, well, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The axe is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? And he answered, whoever has two shirts must share with the one who has none. And whoever has food must do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. They said to him, teacher, what should we do? He replied, collect no more than you are authorized to collect. Soldiers asked, what about us? What should we do? He answered, don't cheat or harass anyone and be satisfied with your pay. The people were filled with expectation and everyone wondered whether John might be the Messiah. John replied to them all, listen, I baptize you with water. But the one who is more powerful than me is coming. I'm not worthy to loosen the strap of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the husk is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. 
but he will burn the husk with a fire that can't be put out. And with many other words, John appealed to them, proclaiming good news to the people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As I reflected on these two texts this week, both uh, Zephaniah and Luke, and saw especially the sermons there of Zephaniah and Luke, I realized I, I need to work a lot harder on my opening lines in sermons. <laughs> you know, this season, Christmas, Advent, has a lot of literature and poetry and films, etc., that have really good opening lines. It was the night before Christmas when all through the house not a creature was stirring, not even a mouse. It's a great opening line. Every who down in Whoville liked Christmas a lot. <laughs> but the Grinch who lived just north of Whoville did not. Charles Dickens, who in some ways may be famous for opening lines of novels, Perhaps the most famous one of all is The Tale of Two Cities. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. I love how the Christmas carol opens. Marley was dead. <laughs> Marley was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. My first sermon in seminary, I was taking homiletics, preaching um, from a guy, uh, Dr. Pinnell, Dr. Bill Pinnell. Bill is a great preacher, very prophetic. Spent most of his ministry pastoring a church in Detroit. Uh, Bill is African-American and was very involved in the civil rights movement. And the church he pastored was very prophetic and part of the civil rights movement. He was so much fun to hear preach. And so I, I knew I was going to have to bring the fire um, for my first sermon. And so I decided I would use a text out of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 16, it's a text that goes like this. Here is the sin of your sister Sodom. She was arrogant. She was overfed and unconcerned, and she did not help the poor and needy. And so the way we did preaching in our homiletics class is you had to pick another student who would read the text before you. So I had this friend who read Ezekiel 16, and this is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And then I stepped up, and here is my first line of my sermon. I'll never forget it. To quote Mrs. Ruth Graham... If God doesn't soon bring judgment on America, he'll have to go back and apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. <laughs> My classmates stopped breathing. <laughs> but, but Dr. Pennell went, Woo! Yeah, baby! Come on! <laughs> like that. It was just awesome. One of the real treats of my life was about 15 years later when I came back to Pasadena First as pastor. Uh, the Pinnell kids, families, were both part of Pasadena First. And so Bill would be there fairly regularly to hear me preach. And I just, if I, he would sit kind of back there. And if I got an amen out of Bill, I knew mm, heaven and earth were kissing. I never not got another, woo, yeah, baby, but I got a, a few amens out of him. But, but opening lines to messages, mine are way too nice, by the way, these days. Um, I was thinking this morning, every week in the sacred rhythms service, the sacred rhythms preaching time begins this way. You stand up and you say, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody says, amen. One of these weeks, I'm going to stand up and say, you brood of vipers. Oh, we'll get to that in just a minute. 
our two preachers, our two real preachers this morning, Zephaniah and John the Baptist, they have worked on their opening lines. In fact, if you have your Bible, go back to Zephaniah. Zephaniah's sermon in chapter 1 begins this way. I will wipe out everything from the earth, says the Lord. I will destroy humanity and the beasts. I will destroy the birds in the sky and the fish in the sea. I will make the wicked into heaps of ruins. I will eliminate humanity from the earth, says the Lord. Woo, come on, baby. I have to tell you, read Zephaniah sometimes. It goes on for two and a half chapters, and it does not get any nicer. It is a powerful sermon about God's judgment. Again, in Luke chapter 3, last week we got introduced to John the Baptist, but he finally gets up to preach, and here is what he preaches in verse 7. You children of snakes! I do love the NRSV. You brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the coming wrath. That's, ooh, come on, baby. That's a sermon. Because both sermons are rooted in God's frustration with his people, and this is very important. He's not frustrated that his people are not religious, that they're secular and not religious. In both cases, they're deeply religious. But what he is frustrated with, and the reason this language comes right from the get-go in both sermons, is that, is that although they are religious and speak even religious language, they live in ways that are more reflective of the values and the culture of the surrounding empire than they are of the heart of God. I find the book of Zephaniah in particular quite devastating. We're told in the opening verses of Zephaniah that Zephaniah is the great-grandchild of one of my favorite kings of Judah, Hezekiah. Hezekiah is this great king who trusted God for deliverance, and the Assyrians went away. But after Hezekiah, Manasseh came along as king and ruled for almost 50 years and led the people into deep, deep destruction and deep, deep brokenness and wove almost every fabric and aspect of the society deep into evil and sin. Josiah, Zephaniah's cousin, comes to power. Josiah makes my good king list. Josiah comes as just a kid But even as a young person, as he begins to hear the law and recover what God's people ought to be, he begins to tear down these places of evil and try to restore worship in the temple. And and I guess the reason why Zephaniah is so troubling to me is Zephaniah comes during that time, and rather than these words that say, you go get him, Josiah, that's right, we're going to make a difference here. Zephaniah basically is saying this, the brokenness of the society, the way even the religious have been shaped and marked by the empires around us is so deep and woven that this is all God can do. God has to just start over. In fact, the language of Zephaniah is really rooted in the language of flood, almost like the Noah story, tohu bohu. I don't know if you're familiar with those words, tohu bohu. The chaos and sin and brokenness has broken back into the world because of people's sin. And now God is going to unleash that through exile. And Zephaniah basically says, it's no good just even do revivals and try to reform. God's just going to have to erase 
the slate. He's going to have to erase this through exile and start all over. It's a troubling text. And in the case of John the Baptist, the people are coming out into the wilderness either out of curiosity or out of a deep recognition that something is up and something has to change. We can't keep living like this. And so they respond to John's very difficult and very passionate and very prophetic message. I'm sure some responded with anger and self-justification. Some probably just went, what in the world is that? But some, the text said, leaned into it and recognized themselves in the preaching of John. And they began to ask a really important question. And so if you have your Bible still open, I want to see all of these sticky notes today. I want to play around with you just a little bit. Luke chapter 3, those who want to enter into this and go into the baptism and get ready for what is to come, they ask John a very important question, and it's found in verse 10. The crowds asked him, and if you have a Bible, I would underline this. The crowds asked him, what then should we do? That's the question. We agree, John, it's a mess. We even agree, we're kind of brood of vipers. It's time for something new. But here's the question, what should we do? Well, John responds to kind of the common folks. Well, here's what you should do. Reorient your life to God. Come and start over, but then go and reorient your life towards others. In fact, do this. If you have more than one shirt, if you have more than one coat, and you see others without any why don't you take from your abundance? I would argue the language of John here is rooted all the way back into the language of exile. Don't be like Pharaoh who stores up and hoards. Become a people who are oriented towards others in ways of mercy and goodness and generosity. Even tax collectors are there, the text says. And notice, they too ask the exact same question. Verse 12, teacher, what do we do? John essentially says, listen, reorient yourself toward God, enter into the water, but then go do this. You have been given authority to participate in the economy of this world in ways that all these common folk can't. But as you do that, do not use that authority to exploit and to be, to be a gatherer and a hoarder, but treat people with fairness and justice. Verse 14, even the soldiers show up and ask, what about us? What should we do? John answered, listen, you have been given authority and might by the culture. You have the ability to oppress people, but here's what I want you to do. Reorient your life with God. Get in the water, come out, but now reorient your life towards others. Do not use that authority you've been given to exploit and misuse people, but treat those people with justice and goodness. Now, what I want you to notice is after he says, this is what I want you to do, they kind of think he might be the Messiah. This is a really powerful teaching, but he says, listen, no, 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 no. There's this one who's going to come and he is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit with fire. 
And what's going to happen is it's going to be like wheat that gets thrown up in the air during winnowing time. And the wind, like the Ruach, the Spirit of God, will blow all of that messy, sinful, broken stuff away. It will be burnt away. And what will be left is the good grain, the seeds of a new creation will be left. Woohoo! So reorient yourself to, me, to God, reorient yourself to others, and then open yourself up to what the Spirit of God wants to do to make you new. Now, here's going to be the fun part. That question, what should I do? Luke gets obsessed with it. And that's what I want to show you. It happens five more times in the Gospel of Luke and in the book of Acts. So turn with me to Luke chapter 10. In the 21st verse of Luke chapter 10, a legal expert stood up to test Jesus, the text says. He says, teacher, <clears throat> teacher, yes. He said, what must I do? Underline that. What must I do to gain eternal life? What's so fascinating is how similar the answer Jesus gives out of the Torah is to the answers John the Baptist gave. Here's what I want you to do. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and then reorient your life to God, and now reorient your life to neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's not a complex answer, although the legal expert says, that's nice, but who is my neighbor? Do I have to reorient my life towards everybody? And we get that wonderful parable in which Jesus basically says, yes, everybody. You get to reorient your life to everybody. Amen. And now go with me to another text in Luke. Luke, the 18th chapter. Luke 18, verse 18. A certain ruler came to Jesus and asked, good teacher... What must I do? There it is again. What must I do to, to get eternal life? Jesus said, I'm not sure why you're calling me good, but okay. Why don't you follow the Torah? Why don't you follow the, the law that taught us how to reorient our life with God and reorient our life with each other? To which the ruler says, well, I have been doing that my whole life. Text says Jesus saw him and loved him and said, Then here's what you have to do. I'm not sure you've really reoriented your life towards God or really towards others. So do this sell everything you have. Come, follow me. If I could push the text a bit there, I believe it's in that moment when the ruler realizes, Oh, I don't know that I want to reorient my life towards God and towards others that much, especially given that I have so much. And so he leaves sad. In the book of Acts, on the day of Pentecost in chapter 2, all of these people gathered in Jerusalem from all of these different nations and ethnicities and languages. The Spirit of God is poured out and Peter preaches this great sermon and everyone hears the gospel in their own language. And then in verse 37 of chapter 2, when the crowd heard this, they were deeply troubled and they said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, here it is again, what should we do? What should we do? Notice Peter's reply. 
It is almost identical. Well, change your hearts and lives. Each of you must be baptized in the name of Christ Jesus. Reorient your life with God now in Christ. And then go, and what we discover at the end of the second chapter is after they go, they now have formed this new community that shares with each other as each has need. And they have begun to learn how to reorient their lives towards each other. You're not very excited, but that was really good. Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas are in prison, an earthquake comes, and their chains fall off, and the doors of the prison is open, and the jailer freaks out. Verse 29, the jailer called from some lights, for some lights, rushed in and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He led them outside and asked, honorable masters, what must I do? There it is again. What should I do to be rescued? And they replied, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, reorient your life with God, and then go and reorient your life with each other. And his whole household was baptized and saved. One last one, chapter 22 of Acts. It actually goes back in time a little bit because Paul is telling his own story. He's telling the story about a zealous Pharisee who is out to persecute the early church. And on the road to Damascus, encountered the risen Christ. He's knocked down and blinded. And then in verse 10, Paul asked the presence of Christ this question. I asked, what should I do, Lord? To which Christ said to him, get up. I am going to reorient your life to me. You are mine. And one of those people you've been hunting down, they're going to come to you and they're going to bless you and reorient your life to those you think of as enemies and your life will be thrown up in the air and the spirit's going to blow away the yucky stuff and the good seeds of the new creation will be left. And Paul, the persecutor of the church, became Paul, its primary apostle. What should I do? What should we do over and over again? Luke encounters this question. In each case, the answer is essentially the same. Reorient your life to God and reorient your life to others. Reorient your life to God. Be embraced by the grace and mercy of the Lord and then turn and reorient your life in patterns of grace and mercy and justice to others. If you're with me this morning, this is such a simple sermon. It is not complicated, but for many reasons, it is not easy. For when some hear this news again and again and again to the question, what do we do? And the answer is the same. Reorient your life to God. Reorient your life to others. Some hear like the rich ruler and walk away sad. Some receive it with joy and their lives are transformed. Some get angry. And again, it is not usually the secular who are angry. But some 
Religious are blind to their own patterns of brokenness and anger and injustice, and they self-righteously justify themselves and become dangers to the voice of these prophets. For in each case, we should be reminded of the ending of both John the Baptist and Jesus and the apostles. I would like to go back to Zephaniah for a moment, if I could. For as I said about Zephaniah, Zephaniah is depressing. Two and a half chapters of chaos and tohu and bohu and so much brokenness that all we can do is start over. But the text before us today that begins at verse 14 Even Zephaniah can't get to the ends of these words without entering into words of hope that begin to trust that if we can reorient our life with God and reorient our life with each other, then verse 14, then we can rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, Israel, rejoice and exult with all your heart, Jerusalem, for the Lord has thrown you up in the air like wheat and has removed your sin. The Lord has blown away all that has broken and is reforming us as the seeds of a new creation. I love, I love the answers to this question. What should we do? What should we do? What should we do? I've been thinking a bit about this. Um, Just a bit of a warning um, I've been thinking about this a lot the last two, three weeks in particular as, um, as a couple of things. As I think about what it means for us to come out of the last couple of years, hopefully come out of the last couple of years. And, and I've been thinking, I, lots of conversations both here and at Middleton. Uh, we had so much fun at Middleton this morning. There were kids everywhere. It was just chaos. Beautiful, loud, boisterous, joyful chaos. But some of you are are new here, and I get this question. We're here. What do we do? What do we do? And so I've been working on some language and thinking about a kind of vision for us. And so I'm excited in January and February. In most of those weeks, I'm going to kind of talk to us and put stuff in writing. And it's I'm just kind of, I'm excited about it. I'm so excited. So if you're asking, what should I do? Hang on for about three weeks. I'm going to tell you. I was so excited, I shared it with the staff the other day, and this was their response. Hmm. No, I'm just kidding. They were semi-excited. But one of them said, one of them said, well, yeah. I mean, if you've listened well, I love that they said that line. If you've listened well, like we've been hearing this stuff for six years, and I was like, yes, but not all in one place. And the truth is, not a lot of it's going to be new. In fact, if you're listening well this morning, a lot of it's going to sound like this. What do we do? Reorient our life to God and reorient our life to others. Invite the Lord to throw our life up in the air and let the Spirit of God blow away the yucky stuff and become the seeds of a new creation. Wow, that was really good. I should have made that. It's going to sound a lot like that. I'm so excited to talk about those things. But as I've been thinking about it, thinking about what it means to live into a kind of vision that is then renewed over and over by joy, 
I was, so the last month or so, our son Jonah has been playing Ebenezer Scrooge in the university's production of A Christmas Carol. A little too well. Um, <laughs> and maybe it's because he's my son, but, but each time we've gone to see it, when Jonah is Scrooge, when you get to the end of A Christmas Carol and the ghost of Christmas future finally reveals to Scrooge why he's been missing in all these future scenes. And the ghost of Christmas future takes him out to the churchyard, to the cemetery, and, and that moment when Scrooge finally sees his name written upon that tombstone. And in that moment when Scrooge realizes the trajectory of brokenness of his life, sees all that has kind of led to that place of death and brokenness, and Ebenezer screams out, it's my name upon the stone. I don't know, again, it may just be my kid. I find myself tearing up, even though I've seen it a thousand times. Even the Muppet version. <laughs> but each time we've seen it this year, the line that sticks out to me is when Scrooge desperately cries to the ghost of Christmas future, Assure me that I may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. Assure me that I may change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. If you're listening well this morning, both of these texts, both Zephaniah and John's ministry are set in moments where people are realizing the outcome of the brokenness that they are a part of and they are done and they're shouting, what do we do? <laughs> Assure us that we may yet change these shadows by an altered life, by reorientation to God and reorientation to others. If you know the play, you know Scrooge wakes up, realizes he's not under the ground. He's not dead yet. The spirits have all done it in one night. That's my favorite part of the play. I, I love to kind of look around at the crowd because Scrooge has been so mean and then all of a sudden, no, he's so joyful. And people in the crowd can't help but you reflect that in their face. And I love Scrooge says this, I don't know what to do, cried Scrooge, laughing and crying in the same breath and making a perfect lacoon of himself with his stockings. By the way, I looked up lacoon. It's a Greek god of craziness. Just some bonus teaching for your day. And then Scrooge says, I am as light as a feather. I'm as happy as an angel. I'm as merry as a schoolboy. I'm as giddy as a drunken man. That's Scrooge. A Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. Hello there. Whoop, hello. Then Dickens says he had frisked into the sitting room and was now standing there perfectly winded. There's the saucepan that the gruel was in, cried Scrooge, starting off again and going around the fireplace. There's the door by which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas present sat. There's the window where I saw the wandering spirits. It's all right. It's all true. It all happened. 
And here's the line I've loved in the play. Dickens says, really, for a man who had been out of practice for so many years, it was a splendid laugh, a most illustrious laugh. And this is a great line. The father of a long, long line of brilliant laughs. If I could go back to Zephaniah for just a moment. The first two and a half chapters of Zephaniah say, man, the world is broken. And I wish I could say it's them. I wish I could say it's those people who cause all the brokenness and heartbreak and injustice in the world. But Zephaniah says, it's not, it's us. God, in his brokenheartedness, even says, I may just have to start over. And the people for generations live into and out of that brokenness, into and out of exile. But I love then that Zephaniah breaks into words that say, rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Notice verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, Zephaniah says, a warrior bringing victory. And here's the line I love. He will create calm with his love. And this is the line. He will rejoice over you with singing. Oh, you're not excited about that, but that's such a cool image. Zephaniah is saying, listen, the transformation God is going to bring will not only cause us to grab guitars and write new songs, it's going to be so new and good and joyful. God's going to grab a guitar and write a couple himself. God will join in the singing and the rejoicing in our midst. And so this morning we gather perhaps as people who, who are burdened and tired of the brokenness in our world. And who come open to the voice of prophets with a great question, what do we do? The answer is almost always the same. Reorient your life to God. If you come this morning broken and distant from God, reorient your life to God. And then reorient your life towards others. Allow the Lord to take your life and burn away the broken and begin to restore the seeds of a new creation. And joy, which is different than just happiness. This is not a promise that we won't struggle ever again. But it's the promise that joy and goodness, like Ebenezer who hasn't laughed in a long time but who gets, gets really good at it, we will be a people who look at the newness and the healing God is doing and we will rejoice. And Zephaniah says, and God will have a verse and sing with us as all things are made new. Amen. Lord Jesus Christ, we come this morning tired. 
and knowing that you are tired of the brokenness, not only of your world, but of your people. And so we come this morning to hear, strangely, on a day of joy, the voice of the prophet speaking to a brood of vipers. And there may be some today, God, who in, in our hearts, we are crying out, what do we do? What do we do? Your response is almost always the same. Renew and set right the relationship with me. Receive my grace and mercy. And then go and set right the relationships with others. Be instruments of compassion. Be inst instruments of justice and fairness. Be instruments that bring freedom to those who've been exploited. Allow me to burn away all of the brokenness and let the grain, the seeds of new creation be restored. So that's our prayer today. Come, set right our hearts with you, set right our hearts with each other. We pray with the psalmist today, restore unto us the joy of our salvation and renew a good and right and holy spirit within us. For it's in the name of Jesus, the one who comes in our midst as Zephaniah hoped and prayed. The one whose sandals John couldn't tie. The one who brings us new life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And God's people said, amen. Would you stand with me?
more time, just our voices. Sing choirs of angels, sing in exaltation, oh, sing all ye bright hosts of heaven above. Come on. verse, it is a verse of people so filled with joy that the Lord is in our midst that it's just not enough it's not enough for earth's voices to sing it's a verse in which humankind shouts, sing, come on choirs of angels join us, sing in exultation sing, all you bright hosts of heaven above even God joins in the chorus. Glory to God, all glory in the highest. Amen. If you've listened well this morning, it's a simple but not easy message. When our hearts are in alignment with God and set right with each other, when we allow the Spirit of God to blow away the mess <laughs> and leave the seeds of a new creation, Holiness people just call that a sanctified life. That's why this benediction is for us this morning. May the God who is present and the God who makes peace, may he sanctify you through and through. May our whole spirit, our, our souls, and our bodies be kept sound and blameless until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And he who called us, he just will not give up. He will not. He is faithful. And he will finish his work in us. And all God's people said, amen. Go in his joy.